Hey, hey, how's it going, everyone? Tom Morkis here, and welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today, I sit down with Jake Jorgovin, who is the founder of Lead Cookie and Content Allies. I brought Jake on the call today initially to talk about content and content marketing, but before we actually hit recorded the interview, we talked a little bit about where things were at with him and his business, and he mentioned kind of in passing that he had built his business Lead Cookie into effectively a four-hour workweek-style business. And I thought it was so interesting that I said we had to take that angle. So that's what we focused on in today's call, how to build a four-hour workweek style business, or really just kind of taking a look at what Jake did to actually get there. Because, you know, I, and I think that's important, you know, your path, if this is what you want, will be different. But I think this just goes to showcase that it's possible and can be done. And that's why I wanted to talk to him about it and, and his reasoning and rationale for doing that. Because a lot of people who get to that position might want to continue to work full time in that business to grow it. But uh, we talk about why Jake has decided not to do that as well. And I think it's an interesting insight into kind of how you can organize your business, your work, and your life. Finally, my big takeaway from today's call, no matter where you're at, no matter how tough it's been, no matter how many hits you've taken, no matter if you're in the trenches and you're still slogging it out and you're trying to hustle through it, whatever your goal is, if you definitely commit to it, you can achieve it. Jake shares his story. And the, one of the first things he mentions is that you know, the way Lead Cookie came about was first 13 years of failure. So I think that's a, you know, good lesson to remember that no matter where you're at, even if it's tough, even if it hasn't really picked up the way you wanted, it's okay. It's experience, you're building it and you're building that leather skin, kind of how I talk about in the art of instigating, you know, and that's what it takes. You got to do it. So we also talk about getting through dips and setbacks, and it wasn't a smooth up and to the right growth pattern for Jake on this. There were dips, there were setbacks, but he's still able to do it in a very short period of time. So lots to take away from this, but those are my highlights. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review on iTunes. Go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes. A five-star review really goes a long way. As you know, nobody sponsors this podcast. There's no advertisement. It's just me having conversations with people and sharing what I learned with you guys. So if you appreciate it, if you like it, if you get value out of it, or if you just want to be awesome, leave a rating and review on iTunes at tommorcus.com slash iTunes. Thank you so much in advance. You're number one. Jake, so I want to talk about how you have, well, a couple things, how you've been able to start and grow Lead Cookie. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, what it is for the listeners and what that's been like, that process to get it to where it is today, which sounds like you've achieved the four-hour work week dream, which I didn't think was actually possible. I thought it was a metaphor, but I think you're saying that it, it can be possible. So let's break it down if you can. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share. And as, a, as I was chatting before, like it's it's possible, but uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, you're not going to just ever uh, stop working totally. So like I, I do actually spend less than four hours a week on Lead Cookie at the moment, but like I just found other things to go put my time toward and work on in that time. And I think that that's actually... There's a lot of interesting things in that because I think right. without that, I think I would just find ways to twiddle my thumbs on Lead Cookie all week if I didn't. So Well, and, and that's kind of why I want to zoom in on this and we'll see. It'll, I know it'll... it'll we'll dive into a bunch of different areas from this, this kind of starting point, because with lead cookie, you know, I, I'll get to some of these questions in a, in a minute, but I, sometimes I think, you know, you know, if you're doing something really well, it's like, why not continue to expand that? But I, so I'm going to be really curious why you decided to, you know, start another business and things like that. But before we get to all that really good stuff, give everybody, the listeners, you know, what is lead cookie? How does it work? And what was the genesis of it? 
Yeah, so Lead Cookie, we are a done-for-you LinkedIn lead generation business. So basically, we manage our clients' LinkedIn accounts and start warm conversations between them and their ideal customers. Um, and so that's kind of the the overarching piece of the business is really like we manage LinkedIn profiles and help people generate leads and work with a lot of B2B companies in that sense or people selling to other businesses. And uh, the genesis of this really came from I was doing my own kind of... I was doing consulting and just doing a bunch of different stuff. And at some point, I had this idea of just like... I was like kind of sick of trading just time for money. And I was like, I feel like I'm ready for a real business again. And uh, so I just sat down, wrote out a handful of ideas. And uh, the one idea that I put down was LinkedIn Marketing Agency is what I wrote down at the time. And uh, that was kind of how it started. I went out and I just researched what was working, what was everyone doing on LinkedIn, and decided to just make a business that basically offered those um, those best tactics in a done-for-you fashion. Um, and that's really how Lead Cookie started. And then just re- started reaching out, offering that to people in my network, and have uh, grown it up to a team of around 30 people today. And that was what was the the, the timeline again? When did you start that? Uh, so it is going on. It's about two and th- uh, about two years and a quarter right now. So we started in July of 2017. So uh, it was two years in July. We're recording this, you know, in the start of October. So you know, it's been yeah, just a little bit over two years at this point. Okay, a little bit over two years. You have a team of 30, you said, and it basically runs itself. Uh, yeah. So, yep. Yeah. And a lot of the, a good chunk of the team is in Philippines or uh, Colombia or different kind of locations and everything. But yeah, we've, and then a handful, quite a few people in the US uh, or North America as well. And yeah, it pretty, pretty much runs without me. I do kind of one on one coaching calls with my team at this point and I show up on the standups and occasionally help on like some marketing projects here and there. But for the most part, they, they run and own pretty much, pretty much everything. So I want to, before we get into uh, where it's at now, I'm kind of curious about a little bit of this as, as you grew it now that we have like obviously hindsight 2020 so you can look back and you see well where you're at now it's it's successful it took about two years what were those critical things you did from that inception of that idea you said you, you reached out to people directly so give me a little bit uh, of an idea of that first few months getting it started what were like the critical things you did and then what were the things you maybe you did later like I, I want I want people to get a context for like the critical marketing and sales things you have to do versus you know other things that maybe are flashy but aren't as essential to the the early success of a startup yeah, so I'll uh, I'll call out two maybe less tactical things, but mm-hmm. uh, one was probably uh, 13 years of failure um, leading up to this uh, and just trying different things. And so I, I think there's just for a lot of people they when they when they hear an interview like this, I, I can see how it's like, oh, well, how come I can't hit that? And and so like the truth is, I like had run an agency before, and like there there's like entrepreneurial skill and chops. I've been freelancing for like four years, and so I don't want to like. I just want to make sure to like say that not to like discourage people and just because like I know a lot of new entrepreneurs they just like they see that and they think that like if you're just like brand new to the game and like they can get discouraged if they don't hit that same thing and just to recognize that there was a large entrepreneurial journey leading up to this and this is finally a success after trying this game for 15 years. So that's like one point I'll hit on and then I, I, another thing was just that at this point I had been honestly trying and failing at a bunch of business attempts before this and so I did actually pull in um, a business coach for like the the first time really um, when I started this up and that was actually really helpful to I think help me level up and get out of that cycle of just attempting and failing at things over and over again so that was like a, honestly a big a big thing I think that went different, like the, the tactical pieces of launching were just like spinning up a landing page, putting together something really like crappy, and then just reaching out to people in my network and trying to sell it to somebody that I knew and then get started from there. Um, 
but there were just so many things that came after that that I just had to learn and level up on as an entrepreneur, really, um, to be able to actually then grow that and scale that beyond just those first few customers. Yeah, because as far as I'm kind of curious to ask a little bit about the the coach um, in in that re- regard, like where you felt like the coach was like really helpful for you. Yeah, maybe break that down for us. I'm kind of curious. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. So one of the things, like I guess, my belief when like hiring a coach is to like find someone who has done mm-hmm. something similar to what you want to do. And so I ended up um, hiring Alex McClafferty, who was co-founder of WP Curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they were a productized service. They built it up to over a million in revenue and then sold it to GoDaddy. Um, and so like I knew Alex before that and then he did this and I was just like, wow, like I've just been, um, piddling around the last two years you built and sold a company to GoDaddy. Like you're doing something that I'm not. And so, um, brought him on as a coach and that like, and, and and I think like just as an entrepreneur, like you just don't know what you don't know. And there's like endless amounts of information and books and tactics and podcasts and stuff. And you can just go in circles and just get totally lost and like, or just like kind of confused or your headspace or like just so many different things. And just like having a coach to just like steer you or like focus you on the right things or to just be like, hey, like stop reading so many books and just like focus on what's in front of you. Like, you know what needs to be done. Like, quit looking for the answer elsewhere. Um, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, working w- with Alex on that was like super helpful. And like, there's just so many, and then there's just so many tactical things that I learned, like how to do one on ones with my team, like how to run meetings, how to like organize or just like track metrics. Like, there's just so many like nuanced, like tactical things I learned from that. And then also just like mindset shifts um, from just working with someone who was more experienced um, that leveled me up infinitely faster than if I had tried to do it on my own. That's awesome. Was there, would you say then that in some context, like it was, especially maybe when you were first getting started, you were like, you know, when you had that first call or the first few calls or you were interacting, your vision of what you thought were like the top priorities, the most important things to do sometimes wouldn't turn out to be the case. Like, you know, is, is, is that kind of part of the discovery process that you found was helpful with a coach? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just a, and like the, that, like a lot of times you're like, you're focusing on the wrong things and you just right. gotta like call that out or like, you're about to just make some stupid decision. And like, he just can like, it, it, it like, it just like, it just got to the point like where eventually like I started to just be like, Oh, I'm going to bring him this. And like, you start to just know like, and like, just because like you just have him like shoot down some of your decisions sometimes, like there was, I don't know how many times I was like, man, we got to offer cold email. Like everybody's asking us for cold email. Like we got to do that. And every time I bring it to him, he was like, do you really want to do that? Like, it's going to make things way more complicated and you got a good thing going. And like, and like, there would just be like decisions like that, that would like kind of pop up and like Mm. to just think of like the havoc that that would have created or the lack of our competitive advantage if we had actually launched something. And like, now I look at this and like in retrospect, it's like, man, I'm so glad we didn't go down that route. Like we just owned the one space we were in. And so like, just really helpful to have someone, yeah, just like steering you from bad decisions to point you to the actual problems. Yeah, just level you up your skills in so many ways. Hmm. And this thing was bootstrapped, right? Um, yep. Okay. And so what were what were some of the critical hires and how early on? How much of it were you doing just by yourself? And, and how quickly did you get somebody on board to, you know, you know the, who's your first hire, you know, for instance? Yeah. So with my consulting, I had been doing um, good enough with consulting to where I actually um, 
had a guy that was working for me, um, basically like kind of as a full-time contractor and he kind of grew and became a head of ops for us. So, um, very quickly I had, I mean, I had someone who I could just hand things to from the start. So like right out of the gate, I just tried to get like the monotonous part of the delivery off of our plate. And probably within like the first two months, um, we hired, we started hiring some virtual assistants and then probably around like three months, we hired our second first us team member. Um, and probably another fourth, fourth month, we hired another US team member. Then we actually kind of grew a little too quickly and then had to lay some people off. Uh, so like made some mistakes. Like this wasn't, uh, this wasn't a perfect journey. There was definitely like havoc and mistakes along the way. Um, but yeah, we, we started like my, my whole focus early on was just get the delivery, the service delivery off of my plate. And then um, the strategic piece of things like the, the strategy, the writing copy, those kind of harder things that were, less operational and more strategic. That probably took about a year to get off my plate. Um, but eventually, um, trained up uh, a guy, Rick, who is now one of our lead strategists. And um, he took that over and then eventually found a couple other guys to kind of um, expand into those roles as well. But um, yeah, it was quick on operations off of my plate and then um, slow to get the strategy and the sales off of my plate. Mm, that makes sense. Um, but it seems like a natural progression, right? Because... It sounds like kind of you, 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 to some degree, some of the lower value activities, maybe is one way to put it. You, you got off your plate right away to degrees. Is, is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm actually really, really bad at repetitive things. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, my, my ops guy fired me from um, like the, the most basic role we have at our company is sending connection requests. And uh, like at any day I, I had to fill in or something because someone was like out sick or they were like had too much work, I would just like make like five typos uh, in like a day. And they were like, Jake, you, you can't do this anymore. You, you're horrible. Like, <laughs> so uh, it was like actually like really necessary to get me out of ops. And then, yeah, like the, the strategic stuff is it is harder. Like you, you can't just, it's not ABZ. You have to kind of train people how to think and like really coach people over you know months to get them into a role versus um, ops, you can typically train someone in a week or two on a very kind of mechanical type role. So you said one of the hiccups you had was like hiring, maybe trying to grow a little too fast and then having to go through that hiccup of having to like, um, you know, let people go, which I'm sure anybody who's done that is it's hard. And also those who are, you know, you know, growing and or trying to grow, you know, obviously it's something you don't want to happen if you can help it. We kind of think that the path is going to just be up and to the right. But sometimes there are setbacks and that didn't break you even even though you 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 did actually it sounds like grew too fast. So can you what were your learning lessons from that? I'm I'm kind of curious. Like what was it that you pulled the trigger on too soon? And then how'd you how'd you figure that out quickly and adjust adjust fire? Because I feel like sometimes when things like that can happen, it can kind of topple something pretty quickly um, if it's not fixed. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a there's a perfect storm of mistakes um, that happened. So one was just not anticipating churn, um, and I think that a lot of people that when they get into like having a monthly recurring revenue business. Um, you can just like, it's really easy to just, I guess like the mistake I made was like, oh, we signed a new customer that's new MRR. And like, you just start planning and assuming that it's just going to keep happening like that. And like, just literally like just was naive and didn't, just wasn't making decisions with like churn in mind. Um, so it was hiring, trying to get ahead of growth instead of like, instead of kind of like, you know, just letting our operations like kind of push itself to the limits each time we were constantly like hiring to like prepare for growth 
And then so you have a bunch of churn and then you have people that are underutilized. And then like it's um, so that is like one piece of this is I was hiring for growth, didn't really anticipate for churn. And when that started to happen, um, we just basically had underutilized team members, which was one part. The other big mistake I made um, is a a guy that a sales coach that I'm friends with now, Damian Thompson. uh, He talks about this as the 100K mistake that people make is... uh, I tried to hand off sales before it was ready. Like I just like wanted to like I was like I was like 7 months in and I was just like all right I'm going to like hand off sales I'll be done everything and I don't have to do anything and I was like all proud of this for like 3 weeks until I looked at our numbers and I was like oh my god we're not making any sales. Uh <laughs> and the sales we're making are like asking for refunds cuz they're selling the wrong people. Uh and so like I totally botched the handoff of the sales process cuz I just like I treated it like an ops process. Like I could just, you know, document this is the ABC steps, ABC steps to sales, and I didn't actually spend the time to train on the the lighter pieces of it, like the the client fit pieces of it. And I let go of that way too quickly. So sales drops off at the same time we have churn, we have people underutilized, and I just hit a point where I'm like, if I don't lay people off, I'm not going to be able to pay them. And um, yeah, I literally within went like two or three months without getting a paycheck and just to try to make sure we could like pay the team that I did have on board that they could keep remaining and we didn't totally crumble. Um, and as soon as I got back in sales, I was able to redeem that, close a bunch of deals and get things back and going. And that brought confidence. There was definitely a lot of fear in the team at that point um, and turned things back around. And I then held on to sales for probably about the next 10 months before I handed it off again. And by the time I handed it off, I was finally like, it was systematized and I spent a long time handing off that process, making sure it was done well. So that's kind of the story and the, the madness that happened there. And, and I know this is, it be, might be tough to go into specifics, but I'm curious on this before and after, what was the before process that you handed off that was ineffective? And what was the after product that you handed off um, that 10 months later? Like what was different about it? Yeah, it was um, one was that like whenever, give you an idea, like whenever I, um, handed off sales. First of all, like I handed like sales and strategy at the same time and like made those the same role for, um, Rick, who's now one of our strategists and like, he wasn't like, and so he's doing like two, like he's basically doing like everything, like everything strategic. So I just, I think like ultimately we ended up splitting those off into two roles, a sales role and an account strategy role. So that was like one key difference. The other thing was that like by holding on to it for another 10 months, like I got so busy in that period of time, like, because I was doing, I also took back over account strategy um, for about six months before I handed that back over to Rick. And um, during those six months, like, I got up to the point where I was running strategy on 40 accounts and I was running sales. So, like, that's like a, like, that's like 40 accounts that are like coming directly to me. So, like, I, optimized the hell out of that to where like every smallest thing of like setting up a Google Doc or like anything that could be Zapier like automated was zapped. Anything that I could have like virtual assistants on the team helping me with, they were helping me. And like to the point where like all I did was calls strategy or like planning and um, really just like honed in on that role to where like I just I automated it the best it could be. So that way I could just focus all my thoughts on like the higher level strategic work. So by the time I had handed strategy or sales back over, like all of that, that streamlining had been like almost 
as optimized as I could make it. And it w- I was able to just spend all my time, um, very little time teaching processes and a majority of the time teaching people just like the the tangential, like the, the pieces, like I had written frameworks on how to sell. I had written buyer persona documents, like what to look out for red flags, like all of these like frameworks and ways uh, to train these people on kind of the softer skills that they needed to know. And to clarify, when you said you kind of separated sales from strategy, just to be clear on that strategy, meaning for the client itself, like the lead generation type strategy, that piece. Yeah. So for our clients, you know, we write their mm-hmm. outreach scripts for right. them. We optimize their LinkedIn profiles. Right. We have to pull the targeting together. So yeah, strategy is like the person who comes up with all of that and then hands those strategies to the ops team to implement. Yeah. yeah and I can see how in that context, closing the client and then the onboarding, uh, initial onboarding and, and that kind of being part of maybe the strategy process being two separate things. And then even the implementation maybe being that third thing. Do, is that kind of how you set it up as like these three phases or these three kind of core aspects of your business? Yep. Yeah. So there's like basically sales strategy and then operations. Yeah. Yep. So those are like the three core pieces, but, uh, yeah, didn't, didn't see all that as clearly when I was just like rushing to get everything off my plate. It's tough though, man. It's how, how do you see it sometimes? Cause you just, you know, you're doing it, but I guess that, you know, by being aware of what you're doing and, and taking the feedback and then it sounds like you had, you know, the coach was helpful for you as well. But it, I think for those who are listening, it's like, I don't know if there's some critical, like important, like, uh, advice here or takeaways. It, I think part of that is just, you know, not everything's going to go exactly how you planned. You will make mistakes. It, you know, it, it happens. Like we all make unforced errors sometimes, or sometimes there are forced errors and things like that. But you know, it's like being aware of it. Like you sounds like you caught it pretty quickly. And then you're like, okay, I took it back under, I'm going to build this out. You, you, you figured out what one of the critical or, or some of the critical areas where it was breaking or, or failing. And you were able to then fix it and get it back off your plate again. I mean, you know, within a year, like that's not a bad turnaround time when you think about it. Um, when some people never get out of that role, for instance, some people might never get beyond you know, what you were doing at the time before you'd done that first handoff, you know, and then it's a good, right. It's a good, you know, full-time business or full-time job for you. Right. But you wanted to build something you could hand off or that you could sell. Yeah. It's uh yeah. So I think a lot of these things, like anyone who's going to like starting down the entrepreneurial path and just like, you got a lot of mistakes coming. Like it's the only way, <laughs> like maybe, maybe some people are just flawless and they can just get through all of it without this, but there's just a lot of painstaking moments along the way. And I feel like that's just part of the learning journey yeah. and everything. It is. It is um, part of the fun too. And obviously as long as we keep winning and I think as long as you keep going, you do like, I think, you know, for those who are listening, I think for guys like you and me, Jake, like when I think about this, it's like, I think anybody's really committed to it can learn from feedback, you know, has like, you know, or just can learn and pays attention and can spot patterns and, and figure things out and just will keep going. I, I do believe to some degree, like success is, I don't want to say inevitable, but it's like, you, you will get there. I think, I, I think it's only a matter of time. If you're just committed and you can learn from your mistakes and you can, um, and from those around you, I mean, I think there's shortcuts, but, and I'm not saying it goes fast, but I think it's possible if you just stick it out. It was like, kind of, you said at the beginning, it was like 13 years of failure leading up to this and then boom, it's like, yeah, it takes a lot of experience. Right. Yeah. Well, one thing I'll say, um, just my advisor, Alex, um, McLafferty, whenever one of the things he asked me at the start was, um, you know, assuming, that this business is going to be, or assuming that any business you start will be a success. 
why are you choosing this business? And that was like a really interesting question um, because, you know, it's like, I, I, I think where I was at coming into it and where I think a lot of earlier stage entrepreneurs are at is they're like, they're constantly like, is this idea going to work? Like, is this going to, is this going to like, is this going to happen? Like, can, can this work? And like, they're constantly like asking people, like, do you think this will work? And like the point of that question is just like, anything will work, you know, if you're committed to it, you might have to change or adjust it along the way. But to shift your mindset from like, away from like, is this going to work to I'm going to make this work, it may not look exactly like I envision it, but I'm going to commit and make this work. It's just like a total mindset shift. Because um, I think there's so many people, they just get into like, oh, is it going to work? And then they get into it and they don't get immediate results. And then they quit and they think it's a failure. And there's just like something to just like assuming that you're going to succeed. And um, just and really thinking through that model and that business while you're choosing it, um, it, it just was like a really helpful thing for me at the start. And what was what was your reason in this case, just to give some some context or, or an example, I suppose, when you're saying that? Yeah, I think for this one, it, like at this point, and it, and it's interesting because that question, you know, it's different for me today. But right at the time when I even went back and like I have all these notes, I I've got like, I've got like two hundred pages of like coaching notes that I took, and like my answer to that was just like I've I had spent several years in outbound consulting, um, and so I felt like I had this unique knowledge and skill set, and I saw this like rising trend of LinkedIn outreach as a, a growing area, and I felt like I was at the front of this, and so I was like I, I just feel like. I've got the skills to build a business. I have this unique opportunity where I see I'm, I'm at like the front end of what I see as a rising trend, and this looks scalable. Like, and nothing, none of my other ideas. Like, they just I had tried to do a few things, and in reality, they actually they probably could have worked if I'd really stuck through with them. But um, I had also they were also a little bit more complex, more difficult. Um, they weren't as easy to systematize. Um, so there was kind of more inherent complexity in them. And this, I just saw the simplicity of building it um, or of like the operations of it. And I just saw like how it just overlapped with my skills. You know, it wasn't like some self-actualizing, like my purpose of life is in this business, but um, it was just something where I kind of saw this kind of like merging of all these opportunities in the market. That's yeah, that's fascinating. And and so when, when you got it to the point where it's at now today, uh, fair, I mean, that's pretty fast, man. Two, two to three years. It's like, and to get it up to the size that it's at now and for you to effectively just kind of step away from it, um, you know, outside of, you know, a few meetings here, here or there, it sounds like it's in a, it's in a position where, you know, if you would want to sell it, you could, um, but you're, you're holding on to it. You still own it. And now you're spending time doing things you, you enjoy. So talk me through that a little bit because, and I, I mentioned this or hinted at this at the beginning of the conversation, I've talked to some people about this and, um, and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, like what's the, you know, maybe what's my, what my style is a little bit, but it's interesting is what you're doing is it feels right to me a little bit. Um, but there's some people who might argue that like, if you got it to the point where it's like, you could, you could step away, it is a four hour work week kind of thing. It's like, what would those extra, you know, 30 hours in the week or 40 hours in the week get you if you reinvested it back into that? Um, what's your reasoning for doing that? And then also not necessarily selling it, but just kind of like, um, holding on to it. Yeah. So there's like I guess like a handful of pieces to that. Mm -hmm. One is um, I don't know if I don't know if actually the moment that I started the next company it was actually like the best idea. Like <laughs> it probably like so like you know the, I, I can't say that like the path I'm going is definitely the right decision and maybe there is um, there is value or opportunity and you know pursuing it more. But the interesting thing is like we've grown from 
um, doing almost 50K a month to 70K a month while I've stepped away. Like, so it's growing without me working on it, which is crazy. Um, and so I, I think like a big part of my reasoning for it was like looking at it and just, um, you know, some of the things that I, I, I look at is like in terms of our growth is to basically build and offer more services to that customer base. And so like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I know I kind of, I'm looking, I guess, at like other partnerships of how do we offer like PPC to this market or other things along those lines. And so I, I, I see, I guess, the avenues for, for growth of this being to kind of spin up more and more offerings. Um, and, and that's kind of some of the stuff that I'll still do is kind of like we, we did recently develop like an appointment setting offering, which is kind of like a step further. So some of the things I still get involved with a bit are like kind of product development. But um, for me, like I don't want to like it, it's running, it's doing so smoothly and it's generating cash. And I don't want to just like disrupt it. I was actually like before I started up this other business, I was like constantly like screwing with stuff. And like, I think I annoyed my team a lot. <laughs> um, and starting up this other business, just like uh, it gave me a route to think about how do I build something that's going to last forever? Because the other piece of it is that LinkedIn, um, it is a marketing tactic. And this is something that, you know, uh, when you're thinking about early stages of a business, like will this be relevant in 10 or 20 years? And the truth is, yes, LinkedIn and sales on LinkedIn is always going to be relevant probably in some capacity unless it pulls a total MySpace. But it, it's going to get disrupted. It's going to be changed. We're at the whims of a platform that can change or evolve or you know do things differently. And that kind of, um, I guess, lack of control and that's inherently baked into the business model um, is something that kind of made me want, I guess, like diversify my risk as well. So that kind of made me not want to put all of my eggs into this basket um, and start to think through how do I build another business that is completely robust, that is completely, um, you know, can stand the tests of time. And that's kind of where Content Allies came from is trying to think through a model that is never going to become irrelevant or there's no single external party that could disrupt or change things or force us to have to rebuild our operations in two years or stuff like that. So that's, I guess, some of the kind of like reasoning or motivation behind it. Can't say it's the all way. Can't say I'm certain it's the right decision, but it's the one I'm taking and committed to. So feeling it out. Well, you know, I, I think that's it. It's like, uh, it, it depends, right? It's like, there's, yeah. there's no right or wrong answer. I don't, I really don't believe that. Um, I think there's just preference and there's, cause there's just so many ways to do this stuff. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, you know, a, a side hustle or a side business that's making you money. Um, that's great. Uh, I, I, but I, I get the traditional, uh, you know, approach to it conceptually where it's like, Oh, go all in and, and really grow it. I can see the value in that too. But you know, it sounds like what you're doing is you are feeling it out fairly intuitively and content allies sounds like the next, um, you know, the next logical step. So walk me through that. How, how fresh is content allies? Where are you guys at with it? Um, and, and where is it going? Yeah. So that, um, basically started around November of last year and went through like probably about six months of me trying out different things and flopping around and failing again. And, um, what we ended up landing on, is uh, basically we do content marketing for consultants to turn them into thought leaders. So uh, we work with people who are really smart experts in their field, but they never have time to turn their ideas into content marketing. And we basically uh, interview them to extract expertise out of their head or help them produce podcasts to turn them into thought leaders and network them in their field. Um, and so that one is... Uh, again, we, we ramped this up, like I said, in uh, around November. I've been building that up. And it's kind of been 
really where most of my focus has been. Um, I'm still kind of in the sales seat for that, still really streamlining all of our systems and processes and stuff. You know, we're, we're kind of, this one's a little different than lead cooking that we have multiple products. Um, but, you know, on the earlier stage of that journey, trying to learn and not make the same mistakes I made with lead cookie, but also build something that is robust and stands the test of time, really. Were you able to uh, tap into like the resources you already had from the other business to like get this off the ground? Um, like, was that helpful at all? Uh, it definitely was helpful. And um, it was, yeah, so it was really useful to have that. But at some point, it was also like kind of screwing with me because actually mm-hmm. I, I started it mm-hmm. I kind of as like another service line of lead cookie. And then I quickly realized I was like, this needs to be its own business. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, we're trying, to, trying to do content with like, out of vertical niche is really, uh, really hard because like you're just going to end up having being like super generalist and writing for all different types of businesses. And so lead cookie is horizontal focus. And so we focus just like anybody in B2B space. And so like to try to do content for our entire wide breadth of um, basically um, of like lead cookie would just be like really hard. And I was like, this is just like, it's confusing me. It's like I'm struggling in my head to like keep these straight. It's confusing my team. So I just broke it off into its own business. I was like, all right, so we're going after like consultants, mainly like management consultant type personas. Uh, and this is who we're going to focus toward on content. And like it just helped to isolate and make it its own thing. But at the start, I definitely did utilize kind of like lead cookie a bit to help get that going. And we you know, still cross use services. So yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like it's also like applies to probably the same demographic. I mean, it's still consultants to a degree, right? Um, so like at least maybe portions, if not large portions or large sections of your current, you know, um, customer client base might be interested in something like this as well. Was that early adoption for you at all? Have you, you know, have you done that? Is that, was that part of the plan as well? Yeah, definitely. So I kind of went through and audited and it was, you know, it's probably like maybe like a 10 to 15% overlap of like lead cookie customers that were, um, like a good fit for content allies. Mm. Um, you know, there's probably I thought there was more at the start. Um, and then as I actually got into it. Yeah, that sounds a lot less than I would have expected. Yeah, it's just like we, we just have so many, um, you know, different types of customers or or maybe some of those I kind of maybe they got disqualified because like they actually were already doing content or had those things taken care of. But, um, you know, it's just like the, the lead cookie, you know, we've just got so just such a wide breadth of customers there. And then on the content ally side, we, just, we, we really tried to focus down on that persona. It was less overlap than I guess I thought it would be too from the start. So yeah, no, that's interesting. I want to circle back real quick. Two questions I thought of um, that I think are kind of important because you mentioned you basically stepped away. You said that the, the, the sales for lead cookie have grown, you know, uh, you know, month over month, it's, it's gotten better. So like, that's obviously just showcases a system that's effective. Do you have then like uh, somebody you have hired or is like the CEO effectively or like an operations, not even C- maybe COO, but that kind of runs everything? And or, or how do you actually organize that piece? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So um, basically, I have a COO who kind of oversees all ops and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I guess I still act as like the CEO role. I'll still set the quarterly targets and priorities. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the one thing I'll still do for the company. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually just had our quarterly planning meeting today and everything. Um, And then, you know, but after that, like the the rest of the team really kind of takes a lot of ownership over everything. So, you know, I still maybe do some of like the bigger picture thinking of stuff, but... um, so not like it's not necessarily a CEO role, but a lot of the strategy team um, and uh, my guy who runs sales and everything, Isaac, they they do a lot of that strategic thinking and um, kind of bring it, and then I just kind of help kind of coach and guide them all in that direction. But yeah, you know, I guess that's a role that I still do in that that small minimal time that I spend coaching each week. 
Got it. And then, um, what was the, other? Oh, on terms of marketing and sales. So again, being able to step back, it's like the Holy grail. I think for a lot of people who might be listening, it's like, I feel like I can step back from everything, but sales, um, often, uh, it's always one of the harder things for me to step back from, um, maybe because I haven't thought through the systems enough or something like that, or it's just like a fear where I, I think too highly of myself thinking like nobody else can do what I do, but the ability to like step back and then see sales grow is pretty impressive. So do you have somebody that like kind of, um, manages that process or, and, or also on that front, like where, where do you guys, if it's you leading that charge, where do you decide to focus your time and energy on the marketing and sales side for this thing so that it does keep growing? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So like the biggest thing to know, like to think about if you're going to like hand off sales and like, is that you just like, when I handed off sales, like it was to the point where I felt like a robot, like showing up on calls. Mm -hmm. Like that's like, it was so systematic where I was literally saying the exact same things. And because like we didn't have any customization in our product, um, it was just really the only like a, the, the intangible was deciding if people were going to be a right fit or maybe handling some like oddball questions. Um, and so I got Isaac in uh, who runs our sales now into that seat. And um, it kind of was just like with him shadowing and everything, but I had like a whole sales playbook, everything there. And that's the thing where like most, like if you can get sales to the point where it is really kind of robotic how you're showing up, then like you can hand it to somebody else. And the interesting thing is that other, like it's a disservice. And I think this is a fear that a lot of people have in handing off sales. But if you can build a really, really great process, and I have like this whole sales playbook I put together, I actually have a bunch of pieces of that published on my blog where I publish everyone like our sales scripts and like our process and stuff. Um, but like he's like, I don't think I could have gotten sales where it is today if I were still running it because like I just couldn't dedicate that much time toward it. And Isaac actually took it and made it better just because you hit a point when like you're the owner and you're doing all these other things and you're just exhausted. And like, I just got into like this repeat pattern and then he starts going on and starts like figuring out these things that he can tweak and optimize and improve in it. Um, Makes our like CRM systems better and all this stuff. So I guess getting it repetitive and then training someone else into there was just like super, super powerful. Um, and then just having him like even tackles like marketing projects as well, like other things um, to kind of accelerate lead volume and help with the flow of that as well. So, um, you know, and also I'll say it helped that we had a good flow of inbound leads. We had built up so much marketing momentum and word of mouth about us in the industry um, that like, we just have a steady flow of leads. So he was all, he, he could just hop right in and then just basically like take over the fire hose of leads and just close those, which is different, I think, than a lot of people. They also try to hand over sales whenever they're like, I don't have sales. I have a sales problem. Let me hire a sales guy. And like that probably won't work. Right. And like I said, like a sales friend, I have to like Damon Thompson calls it like the 100K mistake. It's like, I got a sales problem. Let's hire a salesperson. No, it needs to be like, I'm overwhelmed with doing sales activities that are working, I need to replace myself. Like that's kind of the place you need to get to, to hand that off. Yeah. Yeah. I know that makes perfect sense. And it is, it's, so it sounds like with this, it's thinking through the whole thing, it's um, lead generation through the close and then, and then handing off, you know, to the onboarding, we'll say, or something like that. But, but again, if you, in, in your case, obviously the system you perfected was, I guess, ways to break it up and think about, and maybe this, you did this, it sounds like you did a little bit, but I don't want to put words in your mouth either, but it was like, you know, for the sales process, like once the lead is in, there's a certain set, um, you know, there's a checklist you're going to go through for lack of a better way to describe the process, um, step-by-step, you know, phase one through done or whatever, um, that 
once you built that into the playbook, somebody could just step in and take that role over. And then maybe another role then is, or, or maybe this is the same person, but is the, you know, lead generation piece. It's getting new people opting in or signing up or scheduling a call or, or what have you. But is that kind of how you thought about it and broke it up? Did you find those were like two separate pieces or did you kind of combine them? Yeah. So I, um, I guess like I, yeah, like the kind of a broken up, I guess we haven't broken out the legion and the marketing piece yet. So mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that definitely all the onboarding is broken out. The yeah. Legion marketing, like we just because we did, um, I did a ton with content and I like gave a bunch away and like just my personal brand or thought leadership. Like we just have, yeah, like we just have a flow of leads coming in now, um, just through like marketing, like momentum basically that has been built up. Um, so like we haven't actually had to replace anyone on the lead gen side of things. Like we now just as a team started, um, kind of all pitching in to kind of create more content and that's again, helping drive more leads and stuff. But so we don't actually have anyone specifically that's had to own like lead gen or demand generation at this point. Um, something we're considering in addition to, but right now, like we just have so much momentum that we just were able to, I was able to put someone in on closing and still see the company grow pretty significantly during that time. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, hey, I know we're, we're at over time, but I just want to say this was really an interesting, fascinating conversation. Look into how you built Lee Cookie, what you're doing now with Content Allies. I want to encourage everybody to go scope out your work at contentallies.com. Um, and of course, just you know, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches, Jake. It was a real pleasure having you. No problem. Thanks for having me on here, Tom. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tommorcus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.